almost exactly 60 years ago, a record company executive by the name of Dick Rowe, he was with Decca Records, he heard an audition from a guitar band and had the opportunity to make the decision to sign that band to a record contract. He couldn't make the decision at that time to sign them. His opinion actually was that guitar bands were on the way out, that this wasn't going to be a popular fad. And, and so this guitar band signed with another label. They were initially called the Silver Beatles. They came to be known as the Beatles, you well know. And because that record executive was indecisive about signing them in the moment, obviously millions upon millions of dollars were lost because a decision couldn't be made. We have to make decisions. We're all called upon to make decisions. Our decisions are not going to be the sort that make or lose millions of dollars, very likely. I don't think any of us here this morning imagine that any of our financial decisions will result in millions of dollars. But actually, and I think you probably already anticipate where I'm going, we have a decision even more important than that. And the decision we're talking about is the decision to serve and obey God. And yet... Much like that record executive, we hesitate sometimes. We won't decide and we postpone. We put it off. That's not a new problem. That's been around for a long time. In the reading that Alan read for us just a few minutes ago from 1 Kings chapter 18, you remember there was this situation. The nation of Israel had become very corrupt under the leadership of King Ahab uh, and his very wicked wife Jezebel. And they had taken the people... Uh, into idolatry and they were serving the idolatrous Baals and so Elijah the powerful prophet Elijah called them to a contest on Mount Carmel and so Ahab assembled the 450 prophets of prophets of Baal and 400 others as well and they stood against one man Elijah and Elijah put this challenge before the people Now, you remember the the very famous episode uh, about calling down fire from heaven that will follow this. But before all of that evidence ensued, Elijah came to the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But notice it says, The people answered him not a word. He had actually called upon them to make a decision. How, How long halt ye between two opinions? Make a decision. They wouldn't. They refused to make that decision. The New King James Version says the question he asked them was, how long will you falter between two opinions? The New American Standard Version says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? I especially like the American Standard Version that says, how long go ye limping between two sides? And I think that's probably a pretty interesting expression of us when we fail to make a decision. An important decision needs to be made, and we hesitate to make the decision. Jesus described this indecision problem in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, at verse 24, he said, No man can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Notice Jesus said this is, this is not a doable thing. You can't have it both ways. 
And you are going to have to make a decision. There's a choice to be made. And you can't waver between the two options. And so today we want to discuss this decision-making business. Uh, and especially, of course, the decisions that we have in mind are concerning serving God. Uh, and we know, and we're, we're certain that there is a great problem of indecision in regards to serving God. And we want to address those in our study this morning. We stop here just briefly to thank you for being here today. It's already been mentioned that we have just a beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee and we have a great privilege to come together to worship Him. It's getting hot outside. So far, thankfully, the air conditioners are working great. We've got a comfortable place to meet to worship God uh, and it is a blessing. We've got a number of visitors today. We're glad that you've come our way and we want you to come back every time you have a chance and we're open to any questions you might have about what we're doing here at College View or why we're doing it the way we're doing it. If you have questions, please let us know. All right, so what about these tough decisions? I want to suggest to you that we often fail to make necessary decisions for several reasons. One of them is that I think we take false comfort in what we would refer to as good intentions. You understand good intentions, right? I think all of us have those in regards to various things. It's when you know and even are willing to admit that something needs to be done. And not only do you admit it needs to be done, but actually you really aim to do it. It is in your mind that you will at some point do it, but you never get around to it. You have the good intentions, but it never materializes into action. There's some painting that Cindy's been wanting uh, done at our house for some time. And, and I, I tell you, really, my intentions are that at some point I, I will do that. I, I have good intentions in regards to that. But those intentions have not materialized into any action. So that's the problem, right? Well, painting the house is one thing. Serving God is another. And we cannot just take consolation or false comfort in the idea, well, I, I intend to. I plan to. At some point, I aim to do that. We take false comfort in that. Let me give you a New Testament example. This is kind of interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there was a situation where there was a benevolent need uh, in Jerusalem. There were needy saints in Jerusalem. And, and on the end of Paul's third missionary journey, he was taking up money that had been collected by various congregations. He was simply acting as a courier, a messenger to take those funds to Jerusalem. Uh, and he wrote to the church at Corinth, in, and he had mentioned this earlier to them, but he, he's urging them to follow through, to get it done. And so in regards to this contribution, this is specifically about that contribution for needy saints in Jerusalem. But notice what, notice what he says to them. He says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. So notice he says, finish doing it. He said, And he speaks of the completion of it. I believe you could fairly argue that the church in Corinth had expressed good intentions in regards to taking up this collection for needy saints in Jerusalem. All their intentions were fine. But I would, if I was going to paraphrase this, I'd basically say Paul is telling them, quit talking about it and do it. Follow through. Get it done. Their good intentions weren't any help at all to the needy saints of Jerusalem. They needed to actually do it. 
And so our point here is, I think, pretty obvious that good intentions on our part are no substitute for doing the will of God. James makes a plain statement in James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Is that possibly describing you this morning? You know the right thing to do, but you're not doing it? Uh, Good intentions won't get the job done. And so there's false comfort in that. Let me suggest to you that also a problem is that we have a natural tendency to procrastinate. You know, procrastinate is sort of an unusual word. It's, it's, it, it, you, would, you wouldn't think that that's the kind of word that we would use uh, typically, but that is a well-known word for us, isn't it? Procrastinate. We use it from time to time. It has sort of an interesting etymology. So the word pro in Latin suggests to move forward. Move forward. So, so pro... And then this root here, crass, has to do with tomorrow. And so the word procrastinate literally means to move it forward till tomorrow. Uh, I'm not going to do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. That's the idea of procrastination. Uh, literally, wait till tomorrow. We do that about lots of things. And, and actually, we, we learn that trait pretty early in life. It's been a long time since some of us were in school, but I can still remember back, and probably you can too, those of you who are older. You remember when we had a book report to do in school? You knew it was coming, right? In fact, they usually gave us a long heads-up warning, you know, three weeks from now or four weeks from now, you'll expect to turn in a book report. I, I knew that book report was due, but the night before, I had put it off till the night before I... Not only had I not written the book report, I hadn't even read the book yet. Procrastination. Putting it off. Wait till tomorrow, literally. Procrastinate. There's no more serious area of that than in regards to obeying God. In Proverbs chapter seven, uh, 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may be bring forth. That's the problem, right? I cannot say I will do this tomorrow. I'll obey God tomorrow. I'll put it off till tomorrow because I may not even have tomorrow. That's the danger, right? And we need to realize that is so. James says very plainly in James 4, verse 14, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. And the problem associated with that then, of course, is that when my life is over, and it may be over quickly, it vanishes away like a vapor. If I've been putting off doing the will of God in my life, now it has become too late. Paul said this in Second Corinthians 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so since this is the most important decision you will ever make, there's an urgency about it, to do it without delay. When I know the right thing to do and I don't do it, I'm procrastinating, and that's a big problem when it comes to these tough decisions that involve serving God. Well, another problem is in regards to these questions of serving God, these decisions about doing His will, another problem is that we don't like to face reality. And the reality that I'm talking about here is the reality of our horrible condition without obedience to God. The reality of our horrible spiritual state, that's the reality I'm talking about. We don't like to face that reality. 
that we're really in bad shape. One of the reasons why we don't like to face that reality is because we can look around and see a whole lot of people who are worse than us. And you know, that is true. I think that's very plainly true in our world today. There, we can look around and find lots of people that we would view as worse than we are. But the Apostle Paul addresses that that approach. It's not a successful approach. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. That is not a wise approach. And so, I don't, I don't want to deal with the reality that I have spiritual issues. And one of the things that helps me sort of ignore the reality of my own situation is to look around and say, I, I can point, man, I can point out a whole lot of people who are way worse than I am. That doesn't solve the problem, does it? That is a not wise approach. The Apostle Paul makes a really graphic statement in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I think that's, that's really something. This, this is the way we need to view ourselves as wretched men. Oh, wretched man I am, Paul says. Uh, that, that is certainly true. That's the way we need to see ourselves. Before and without our obedience to God, we are in a wretched condition. And then this other phrase here. And I have to be a little bit careful here. This is pretty graphic. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? The body of death. Mm, what does that mean? It seems a little bit odd, even in our English translation of it here, that we need to be delivered from a body of death. There is apparently, a lot of commentators suggest that this is a reference to a known torturous practice of ancient peoples when they captured an enemy. Now, again, I don't want to gross you out too much about this, but I, I do think it's valuable. This is the picture he's painting of us when we have not been rid of sin through obedience to, to the Lord, in this ancient practice, they would torture captured soldiers by chaining them to a fellow dead soldier. And so they would put this, they would put, here's a soldier that's been captured alive, and they, and they chain to him or bind to him one of his compatriots who has been killed in the battle. You know what's going to happen with that? That dead body is going to begin to rot and corrupt. And then it's going to infect the man that he's bound to. And a slow, torturous death results of that. That's a horrible picture, isn't it? Paul says that's the picture of our situation when we are in sin. And before we obey the gospel, when we're without Christ, we are bearing this body of death on us. And we need deliverance from that. That's our situation. I'm convinced that we do not see ourselves that way. I don't think people of the world see themselves that way. But that's our situation before and without salvation in Christ. Here are the basics. You know them well. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, I'd like to think... Uh, that there are certainly some awful people in the world, but it's not me, right? I'm not one of the horrible, awful people of the world. But Paul says all have sinned. That's me too, right? And so I can't just say, well, the world's a terrible place, but I'm not such a bad person. No, I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Here's a little calculation that I would encourage you to do at some time or another. From time to time, we hear people say, we all sin every day. I'm not sure whether that's a fair description or not. Hopefully we could get to the point and mature spiritually enough that we could live a day without sin. But if, if you just take that statement at face value, let's say we all sin. So one sin every day. I, I went back and did a little calculating. Uh, if, if I go back to when that record executive failed to sign the Beatles, I was, uh, I was about 10 years old when that happened. If I go back there... At that time, I can remember the Beatles. <laughs> some, of, some of you older folks can too. Uh, I remember when they became popular, you know, the, the fad group, the Beatles. If I go back to that time and if I calculate that I've just done one sin a day, every day since then, I've committed over 20,000 sins. You think I'm not so bad? I'm not such a bad person? 20,000 sins? Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul said that about himself. That fits us too, doesn't it? We have all sinned. And then, of course, you know, the follow-up to that, also in Romans, this time in chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. What I get for those sins, and by the way, it wouldn't take 20,000 of them to, to, to cause me to be lost eternally. Just one unforgiven sin would be enough to cause me to be lost eternally. But i got 20,000 of those sins that need forgiveness. And what I earn... For that, The wages of my sins is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Tough decisions, but they need to be made because there is this reality of our undone situation in sin. I believe that sometimes we think, maybe, I think some people think at least, that they might remain neutral. Maybe the option is just remain neutral. And so someone might argue, listen... There are anti-religious people in this world, but I'm not one of those anti-religious people. I'm not against religion. I'm certainly not anti-God. But maybe I just can sort of say neutral in this business and not do anything. And maybe that neutrality on my part will be good enough. You know the famous episode with Pilate when Jesus was on trial just before his crucifixion. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate wanted to release Jesus because he knew he was innocent. In Matthew 27, beginning verse 22, Pilate said to them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate washed his hands, sort of to graphically illustrate, I'm not, I'm not involved in this. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Notice, he's a just person. I know he's not guilty. He admits he's not guilty. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Let me, so he's he basically claiming, I'm going to be neutral in this. You, you go do what you're going to do, but I'm not. In, let me ask you. Do you excuse Pontius Pilate on the basis that he's claiming neutrality in this matter? We don't excuse him, right? He, he, he stands to this day as one of the great villains of history, condemning Jesus to death when he knew he was a just man. He couldn't be neutral. He is not excused by his efforts to be neutral. 
Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Can't miss that point, can you? We've got to make these tough decisions. We often fail to make the decisions for many reasons. I think finally, we fail to understand what is ultimately most important. And that's a big problem, of course. What matters the most to you in your life at this very moment? What matters most to you? How would you, how would you list the things that are important to you? Well, family, maybe your job, maybe financial security, uh, being able to get some of the things that you want, material possessions, hobbies, recreation, you know. All of those kinds of things are significant in varying degrees. But when you boil it all down, only one thing is ultimately most important. Jesus said it so clearly in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, beginning, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This is the most important thing. We know that, right? There's no revelation this morning that our souls, our eternal destiny is more important than anything else in this world. But sometimes we fail to pay heed to that. And so we don't make the important decisions to serve God faithfully in our life because we just won't deal with the thing that is ultimately most important. There's a lot of reasons why people fail to make necessary decisions. And 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 I would have to argue that we have all probably done some of these very things ourselves in regards to serving God. Elijah, back to our beginning. Elijah said to the Israelites... How long will you go limping between two sides? Are you limping along this morning, having not made the commitment and the, and the decision to serve God faithfully in your life? Are you limping along between two sides? If that's the case, then we would encourage you to, to make a decision today in serving God. If that means that you need to initially obey the gospel, we hope you'll do that. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you need more information, if you need more study, if we can help you in any way, let us help with that, but make that decision for the Lord. If you're already a Christian, but you've not been faithfully serving Him, you need to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.